Goldberg, do you trust me? Battle. The spiritual battle, the physical battles, the emotional battles, all the battles that... The worship team couldn't make it, and so one of the, I guess, one of the perks of coming early is um, we get to volunteer to serve on the worship team. And so, you know, it's it's been a long time since I've played guitar. My fingers are screaming right now, but I I think even more time just so... um, I was really proud to see Kaya playing piano. I was like, wow. Yeah. Well, let me pray. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Ephesians today. We've been going over the book of Ephesians for the past several months. We've been looking at just the wonderful themes that Paul has given to the church in Ephesus, but by extension, us as a church, of who we are in Christ, our new position, the new reality that you are the daughter of the God Most High, and you are the son of the God Most High, that you are uh, wealthy beyond your wildest imaginations. You have treasures. Every single spiritual blessings has been given to us. That, that's who you are. That's who I am. And, and then he continues on. He says, now that you know who you are, this is how you should live. Today we're uh, wrapping up this final portion of, of this book, And last week we began uh, with the reality that Paul tells us, but there's more than meets the eye. Because although we are sons and daughters of the God Most High, that also means we are the victims, we are the targets of Satan's attacks. And so last week we talked about how we as Christians, we need to open our eyes to the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. So will you pray with me right now as we continue to engage in spiritual battle, as we allow God's word to speak to our hearts and allow God's spirit to cause our hearts to be tender towards him. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, that you have given us your son. What a redeemer indeed. And we, for those of us who have grown up in the church, sometimes we take it for granted we forget that, wow, what a precious gift of salvation. And at the same time, we forget that we've been drafted into a spiritual battle. Now, we were always in a spiritual battle, but our eyes were closed. So would you allow our eyes to be open now? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will... Uh, bring it over to you. I just want to recap what we covered last week because this is the context for the, this whole message that our battle is not with one another. Some of us, we've, we look at one another and we say, well, he's the enemy or she's the enemy. My, my spouse is the enemy. My, my parents are the enemy. My, my children, they're, they're just oppressing me. But really, Paul reminds us our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul tells us that the battles that we face, they're not mere coincidences. They're not not just happenstance. The, the, The struggles, the attacks that we endure, there's a spiritual reality that is going on. And Paul reminds me and Paul reminds you, open your eyes, guys. 
because all around us, there is a spiritual reality. You, you don't see it. And last week we talked about how Elijah prayed for his servants who has the scales of his eyes just fall off. And he saw the spiritual reality that there are armies around us. So how many of you, hearing last week's sermon, you took time to examine what Satan's schemes were. So for those of you who were not here to listen to it, you could listen to it on our website. But how many of you who, who were here last week, you, you, you heard about the schemes that Satan has against you, and you, you said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to just think about the ways that Satan discourages me. I wonder how many of us we felt, perhaps as we started engaging in the spiritual battle, we felt even more discouraged or we felt more attacked, or perhaps all these coincidences seem to happen just this past week. I mentioned last week that when I first started pastoring, when I first started preaching, it would seem like something would always happen right before I had to preach, right? Like someone would get sick. A lot of times someone would get sick, or, or Sumiko and I would get in an argument, and it's like, it's really discouraging to come up and preach God's word, and you know, like, your family life's a mess, and you're like, ah, oh, I just yelled at my family. Ah, uh, you know, how am I going to bring God's word? And it just seemed that whenever I had to do something, or, or something significant of spiritual matters had, was going to occur, there was always some sort of trial, and over time, as Sumiko and I, we started um, just observing these patterns, we began to see, you know, there's a pattern, there's a scheme of how Satan attacks me and how Satan attacks us. And so today, as we continue on with what Paul has to say, whether it's temptation to sin or temptation to discouragement or temptation for disillusion, disillusionment, keep your eyes open for how Satan's schemes work against you. We're going to start in the next verse, Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm sure many of us, we've heard this passage, we've read this passage, perhaps we've memorized this passage, whether in Sunday school or VBS or we've read it to kids. It's a, it's a very popular passage and perhaps one that we don't pause enough to take a look at. Because Paul reminds us that in the face of all the discouragements that you face, in the face of all the temptations and all the attacks that you have, this is what Paul says. Paul says, I want you to stand firm. Satan will come and Satan will attack. And Satan will lie. And Satan will discourage. Paul says, stand firm, brothers. Stand firm, sisters. He says it three times just in this chapter. He says, stand against the schemes of the devil. And he says, having done all, I want you to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. For us to fight against or to resist Satan, we need to stand firm by putting on the armor of God. 
we stand firm against Satan by putting on the armor of God. Now, I thought, uh, this is a pretty serious message, but I thought of this illustration. It's a little lighthearted. Some of you guys may be too young to remember this, but there's this um, old movie called The Mighty Ducks. How many of you guys have watched The Mighty Ducks? Just curious. All right, so let me get, oh, wow, Michael, no? We're, we're the same generation? Okay, so <laughs> Mighty Ducks is about a bunch of teen, uh, teenagers or even preteens. They're, they're playing ice hockey, and unfortunately for this ice hockey team, their goalie is scared of the puck, right? And so every time uh, the opposing team would shoot, he would step aside and say, here you go, right? So uh, I'm going to show this little clip. Oh, you don't work with me and goal. Goldberg, do you trust me? My mother would not approve of this, coach. She'd like me to live to be bar mitzvah. This is your bar mitzvah, Goldberg. Today you will become a man. Coach, I think you got the ceremonies mixed up. It's more like a circumcision. Coach, will you come back here? What did I ever do to you, man? District 5, ready! Oh man, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Hey! Oh, guys, what's the question? Nice you, Goldie. Oh, please, no! Fire! I know. I, I really like sports movies. They, they do. I, I just really resonate with sports movies. But the point of this illustration is, you know, Satan is throwing darts at us. He's going to attack us. He's going to discourage us. And a lot of times we just crumble. But Paul says, no, guys, I want you to stand firm. And, and this is how you stand firm. You put on the armor of God because it's the armor of God that is going to withstand the attacks of Satan. It's the armor of God that t- can take the hits. It's not you it's the armor of God. And later on, we read, uh, James writes, we want to resist the devil, right? And we resist the devil by standing firm in what God has said, standing firm by putting on the armor of God. And so we're going to be looking at the armor of God today. It's this beautiful imagery. And some of you have heard that Paul wrote this letter as he's in prison. And by imprisonment, he means he's under house arrest. He's chained to a guard. And perhaps as he's writing this, he's looking at this soldier and he's marking up all the different aspects of the soldier's outfit. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is all of these pieces that Paul brings up is actually from the Old Testament. You can look this up. The entire armor of God is a rehashing of the Old Testament. But we're going to look at what it means to put on the armor of God if we want to stand firm. So the first thing that Paul says is, I want you to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth is the truth of God's word. The truth of what that God says through his scripture. And it's so great that Paul begins the armor of God with the truth. And, and what he's telling us is we need to study God's word. We need to in, be encouraged by God's word. We need to even commit God's word to memory. There's a recent survey, and I've shown this, uh, this, this image before, but there's a survey that Americans, actually most Americans do not read the Bible. Most Americans have not read most of the Bible, or at least have not read half of the Bible. Uh, in fact, only about 40% of the Bible, uh, the people attending church, have read their Bibles occasionally. So almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Right? 
It's essentially uh, the same number who read it every day. Very few people read the Bible. And Paul tells us, listen, we're under attack. And, and the first thing that we need to put on is the belt of truth. If you want to stand firm against Satan's attack, if you want to stand firm during this spiritual battle, you need to gird yourself. You need to wrap yourself you didn't make the truth of God's word central in your daily life. Because here, here's their thing. One of Satan's name is he's called a liar. And he likes to lie. He, he schemes against us by lying. He causes us to question God's goodness. When he talks to Adam and Eve, did God really say that you can't eat this? You know, really, what he's saying is God wants you not to be like him. God has a better plan and he doesn't want you to have it. He's planting doubt in people about the character and the goodness and the promises of God. Satan plants lies in, in your mind and my mind saying, you know what, you're, you're worthless. You're no good. You're useless. No one wants you. He plants lies in our hearts. Maybe the other way that says, well, you know what, you're the only one that matters. It's okay. You've been hurt, so you can hurt others. Right? He plants lies in our culture. He says, it's okay to, to do whatever you want or live however you want. Make up your own rules. You know, you do you. Because there's no ultimate judge. He plants lies in this generation. says, it's okay. Life is not worth saving unless it's outside of the body. Or, or it's okay. There's no judgment. There's no right. There's no wrong. You see, daily we are bombarded by messages. And when we put on the belt of truth, what Paul is reminding us is everything that we hear, we need to filter through the truth of God's word. A couple years ago, actually more than a couple years ago, a very famous, well-known pastor started telling people that there was no hell. That a loving God certainly would never send anyone to hell because that seems to be inconsistent with a loving character. Hundreds and thousands of people followed him, but here's the problem, it's not according to God's word. It's not according to God's truth. And Paul reminds us, if you want to stand firm against the attack of Satan, you need to know the truth. Pastor Yuji used this illustration a couple months ago, but I'll say it again. They train federal agents to, to detect counterfeits, right? And the, one of the ways they train federal agents to detect counterfeit bills is not to allow them to study the counterfeit bills, they, they just get them to study the real deal. They, they, they touch and they feel and they smell. They're, they're moving money all the time that when a counterfeit does come, they know exactly there is something wrong with this bill. And the same could be said. If we spend more time in God's word, we will know if something doesn't sound quite right. We hear something, it's like, oh, that, that's not consistent with God's word. That's not consistent with what God says I am. Are we spending time in God's truth, knowing what God says about me? And perhaps more importantly, do we allow the truth of God to change the way I live? It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to live the truth. The truth says it's better to give than to receive. Do we really believe that? The lie says it's better to get and to get and to get. The truth says Look to serve and not to be served. The lie says, do whatever you need to do to get ahead. 
The truth says, whoever wants to follow me must lay down their life and take up their cross. The lie says, sacrifice and servanthood is for suckers. Are you putting on the truth? And are you allowing the truth of God's word to transform the way you live? There's so much more we can say about this. But we're going to move on. Oh. I, I cannot advance. Let me see. Maybe you're going to have to. I think my battery's died. Oh, let's try this again. Did I? Okay. Did you do that? Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Secondly, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness is this positional righteousness. It's actually understood in two ways, okay? So when Paul tells us uh, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness, one way that he's describing this is he's reminding us, look, Jesus Christ has died for you. He's paid for your sins. There's there's nothing that you could have done uh, that he didn't already do for you. And because he died for you, you are now made righteous. Because of what he's done on the cross, you are now made righteous. So when Satan attacks us by accusing us, right? when he says, well, you know what? You are a thief. And you're a liar. You're a cheat. Uh, you're not as good as people think you are. Our response is, that's true. I'm not. But here is the truth. Jesus has made me righteous. That all those things you said, those are true. I'm a sinner. I'm a tr- uh, that, that is true. But Jesus Christ has restored my relationship with God. And there's this uh, man who, Jesus talks about this man who's praying in contrast to a, a, a spiritual leader. And he says, uh, but the tax collector, this is like the worst sinner of his day, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and be his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, here's a man who understands that is God who justifies. That is God who makes righteous. And God only makes righteous those who acknowledge that they are sinners. And when Paul tells us to put on this breastplate of righteousness, he's reminding us, your position in Christ is secure because of what Christ has already done. Your position with God, your relationship with God is already set because of what God has already done. And there are times, there are times when we put on the breastplate of experience. Isn't there? Look at all that I've done for you, Jesus. There are times when we put on the breastplate of accomplishments. Save six people this week. You must be really proud of me, God. I'm I'm teaching Sunday school. You know, you're welcome, Jesus. There are times when we put on breastplate of, of where we've come from. My father is a famous evangelist and his father, missionary before him. But Paul reminds us, it's none of those that will stand against Satan's attacks. It's simply knowing that Christ has made us right with God that makes us stand against Satan's attacks. He's put us in a right relationship. But there's also another aspect to this righteousness that uh, Paul is talking about when he says, put on this breastplate of righteousness. One is, remind yourself that you are right with God. But the second aspect is called practical righteousness. The first one is a positional righteousness where you are positionally right with God. But there's also an aspect where uh, Paul tells us to live righteously. It is the moment-by-moment choice 
to obey God. It is a moment-by-moment choice to say, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Paul instructs Titus in Titus 2.12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And it's not the right living that will save you, but it is the right standing with God that will lead to the right living. I've been made right with God, and now that I'm in a right relationship with God, I'm able to respond and say, Jesus, what is it that you would like me to do? How can, I, how can I express my love towards you because you love me first? What does God want me to say, to think, to pursue? Righteousness means pursuing God's character and God's desire and God's heart. And it all stems from first being made right with God through his, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The next one is a little bit of a mouthful, but really let me summarize. It's the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Sometimes you hear it as the sandals of the gospel. Uh, but really, in re- ancient Rome, one of the reasons the, the, the Roman soldiers were so particularly effective in battle is they uh, had these sandals and they would put knobs on the bottom, a little like our current day cleats, right? So you, you see soccer players or, or football players, they have, cl- they have nails on the bottom. So when they are marching or when they're standing against attack, they would have a firm foundation to stand against. When they're being pushed, when they're being attacked and, and, and pushed backwards, because the sandals have this firm foundation, they would be able to stand strong. And when Paul tells us, have a firm foundation, actually the Amplified Version translates as such, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. And I, I think that really conveys the idea well, because the idea here is the gospel of peace, that I am no longer at war with Jesus, I am no longer at war with God, that God has made peace with me. That gives me a foundation. I'm not worried about my standing with God. I'm not questioning, like, did I do enough? Did I I, uh, say the right prayer? Did did I give enough this month? Did I serve? I know that God is at peace with me. God has made peace with me. There's no more war. There's no more judgment. There's no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, in Romans, Paul tells us, since we've been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this idea of having peace with God, it is so incredibly powerful, isn't it? To know that you are not uh, in question about your standing with God, to know that God is at peace with you, that God is on your side, or perhaps better put, that I am now on God's side. Satan may come at us and Satan may say, I understand why God saved Michael. <laughs> He's a good guy. I understand why God saved Yen Ping. He's a good guy. I'm not really sure God made a mistake with you, Dean. Sometimes we think that. Or Satan may come and say, you know, all the sins in your life, all your shortcomings, all, all the lies that you tell. If God really knew, he wouldn't like you. He wouldn't want you. And Paul here is reminding us the gospel 
has reconciled me to God and you to God. That all the sin and all the shortcomings, all the failures that we have in our life, God knows. And God forgives. And God says, you are now my beloved. You are now my son and you're my daughter. And not just that. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, Satan could come and Satan can say, hey, you know, this person, they're such a jerk to you, you should continue to be a jerk to them. Right? Like they've done these things to you, you should, you should retaliate. Or perhaps the opposite says, place all your, your hope and your, your, your worth, your time, your resources, your hope into all those things. The gospel reminds us, no, we're at peace with God. Because we're at peace with God, we're able to make peace with others. Because there is a future for us in the gospel. Because I know that my relationship with God is right. I don't need to put my, all my hope in my work or my grades or my job. The gospel, it gives us hope and it gives us meaning, gives us purpose and allows us to be reconcilers with others. The shield of faith comes next. And the shield of faith really is to, uh, to trust in the character and the promises of God. The shield of faith, is, it's not a small deal. The word for shield really is the same word that we get the uh, Greek word a door. It's something that covers an opening. And moms would tell, moms would tell their sons, either come back with your shield or come back on top of your shield. They, they, the dead would come back on top of their shield. It's a big thing. It would protect your whole body. And Paul reminds us that what keeps us standing in the face of Satan's attack is faith in the goodness and the character and the promises of God. Faith is trusting in the character, the promises of God. It's holding up that shield and declaring that all these things are true. And whatever Satan may say of God, right? Whatever Satan may try to tempt us with, that God's character and God's promises are true. The author of Hebrew tells us, hmm, there we go. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. There are times when we don't know, we can't see the promises of God coming to fruition. Right? All, all the great men of women of faith in the, in the book of Hebrews, they, they only saw from afar what was promised to them, but they never actually received it. And what Paul is reminding us, guys, we are in a spiritual battle. And Satan will attack us by asking us, is God's character really true? Is God's promises really true? Did God really say that you should always speak the truth? Did God really say you should lay down your life for your spouse? Did God really say that you should honor and obey your parents? See, Satan is trying to plant lies that God doesn't really have your back, that God doesn't really care about your happiness, that God doesn't care about your well-being, that God is holding something back. But what keeps us standing firm is reminding ourselves that God's word is true, that God's character is true, that if we choose to obey God, and if we choose to follow 
the conviction that Jesus is our Savior, then whatever situation we find ourselves in, he will rescue us. Faith is the belief that God will keep his promises. Whether it means that he will never leave you or means that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Whether it means he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear and he'll provide a way out. You and I as believers, we know there's more to this life. We know there's a day coming uh, when, when Christ will come back for us. When we will receive our ultimate uh, eternity with God. Will you live that reality today? And truthfully, some of us, we live as if this is the only life there is to live. And, and we may acknowledge that, yes, there's more to this life than this present reality. But they, the way we live our lives reflect that we have no faith in that truth. We put all of our hopes, all of our, our resources into this world. Which leads us uh, to the next, uh, def- the last defensive piece that Paul talks about, the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet of salvation is our future hope of redemption when Christ returns. It's not talking about the point that you became a Christian, not that salvation, but the fact that Christ will come back and Christ will save us. Our hope is not in the present world. It's not in our accomplishments. It's not in our achievements, not in our uh, possessions or even our legacy. Our hope is not in our children, our families. Our hope isn't in a great politician, a great president, a great congress. Our hope is found in the reality that Jesus Christ will return one day. And on that day, he will call all those who are faithful to him and he will finally conquer Satan and he'll finally conquer sin, he'll finally conquer death. That is our hope of salvation. But until that day comes, you know, God is working things out. God is, continues to work in your life and continues to work in my life. Paul tells the church in Philippi, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God continues to work in our life. And there's some of us, we're going through this and we're thinking, well, I don't even think about next year. How can I think about eternity? I don't even think about next month. How can, and, and Paul's saying, hey guys, there's more. Your life is more than the 80 years that you're living here on this earth. Guys, Christ is coming back. Won't you live faithfully so when Christ comes back, he could say, look, there's so many. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is our hope in salvation. There are times when Satan discourages us and says, look, all these tragedies, you know, that's your, your life. It's so hard. When we, we remind ourselves, one day, Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. See, that's what it means to have a hope in salvation that one day the world will be set right. All the wrongs in your life. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to to blow up and say, well, we have to change this. But our hope is that Christ will come back. And when Christ does, Everything that is wrong will be made right. The last piece of the armor here is a sword of the Spirit. 
Now, the, the previous ones have all been defensive, uh, but the sword of spirit, which is, Paul tells us, is the word of God. And actually, it's a very interesting phrase that he says, the word of God, sometimes we're very familiar with the, the Greek word logos. The word he uses here is the rhema word, which is a spoken word of God at just the right time. Right? The sword of the Spirit is a spoken word of God, spoken at just the right time in the right situation. And Paul is telling us here, when we are attacked by Satan, when we are attacked by discouragement, when we are attacked by all these spiritual forces around us, we need to remind ourselves of God's word and not just God's general message. We need to know the word of God well enough that when we are attacked and we are discouraged, we're able to bring to mind God's word. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert. Every time he was tempted, how did he respond to Satan? It was with God's word. God's word is powerful, right? And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness. And the question for us is this. When we are tempted, when we are attacked, what fills your mind? Sometimes we justify our actions. Sometimes we, we just dwell on the situation. Right? Sometimes we scheme ourselves and plot and say, how can I retaliate and how can I hurt this other person? And Paul says, that's the time when you need to say the word of God that is useful at that time in your life. And that is also the time that we need to be speaking the word of God to our friends, to our brothers, to our sisters. Because people may come to you and people may say, I'm going through all sorts of trials right now. Oh, my, my life is so overwhelming. I just can't, I just can't deal And it would be helpful to listen. And it would be helpful to encourage and to empathize. And Paul reminds us, but it would be most helpful to bring to mind what God has to say, God's reality, that you are loved, that you're never alone, that he will never leave you, that he will give you what you need for each day. That's the sword of the Spirit. We stand firm by putting on the armor of God. And then Paul goes on in this second half of this verse, uh, the section, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might, may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The second thing that we need to do to stand firm is we need to pray at all times and for all things. We stand firm by praying at all times for all things. And the reason we pray right, is because the battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. The battle that we're in can't be won simply with persuasion, simply with physical strength, simply with resources. The battle can only be won when we engage it spiritually by asking God to, to fight on our behalf. And when Paul says to pray in the Spirit, it means to pray in submission to God's will. It means to pray uh, according to God's desire and God's heart. 
We don't just pray for ourselves. We, we pray for one another. We pray for all the saints. As a church, this is your job. And some of us, you know, we, we come to church and we leave church and we're like, oh, okay, I'll see you guys next week. But Paul says, no, I want you to pray for each other all the time. Because the person in your small group, the person in your youth group, the person in your Bible study, they are encountering spiritual warfare all the time. Your job, Christians, is to be praying for each other, to engaging, to engage spiritual warfare on behalf of one another. God is doing some mighty things through the people in this church. If you stop and you listen and you hear the testimonies of men and women in this church, you, you would be amazed at the ministry that is occurring, not just within these walls, but to people outside. And Satan certainly does not want that to happen. There are men and women who are going to go off to college very shortly. We know statistically, right? Actually, the statistics are a little bit across the board. 90%, 40 to 90% of high school that goes off to college, right, do not continue on in their faith. Pray for them. We know there's men and women in this room who are struggling in their marriages, with their families, with financial need, with cost of living. And they're easily discouraged because their health isn't what it's supposed to be and their work isn't what it's supposed to be. And Paul's saying, pray for each other because there's nothing more that Satan would like than to destroy this church by destroying the people in this church. There's men and women in this room who are sharing their faith. And it's scary. Even for the great apostle Paul, notice that he asked for prayer. This is the missionary that goes around the known world at the time and, and he's saying, pray for me for boldness. Like if anyone already has boldness, it should be Paul. But he's saying, pray for me for boldness. There's men and women here in this room who are taking seriously the call to make disciples, to share the good news. But they're scared. An opportunity comes. And they choke. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for one another as you share the gospel with each other? Will you pray for one another as you continue to live by faith what it means to, to live generously or to, to give generously, to love generously? We pray for one another to proclaim the gospel boldly. You know, our job is not to convert anyone. Our job is simply to proclaim. Will you pray for the person sitting next to you to proclaim boldly to their boss or their coworkers, to their neighbors, to their family members? Because Satan doesn't want us to share the good news. Satan, in fact, doesn't want us to thrive. Satan, as, as Peter tells us, Satan is like a lion ready to devour us. He's ready to divide the church. And until we open our eyes to this reality, we will be victims of his attacks. So friends, stand firm by putting on the armor of God and stand firm by praying at all times for all things for yourself and for one another. A couple things before we go into a time of communion. What part of the armor, perhaps in your life, is missing or weak? Maybe for some of us, we, we, we were really great with, with the, the sword of the Spirit, 
right? But we're constantly bombarded by our, our position with Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of us, we don't really know God's word at all. But, but we're, we're really good in knowing that we are saved. And so what part is missing that we need to be reminded of this week? Commit to memory some promises of God from the Bible. Right? If God has said, this is who I say you are, and, and if you would believe me, and if you would trust me in this, this is how I will respond. Commit to memory some of those promises of God. And finally, pray that God would give you and others boldness to share the gospel. So we're going to go into a time of communion right now. We've been doing this since the beginning of this year. We're going to go into a time of communion where we're going to ask you to, to take the elements. When you get the elements, go around and share how you could pray for each other. We, we're going to break up into groups of uh, threes or fours. You're going to take the elements. You're going to just share, how can I pray for you? Because that's our job as a family of God, to be praying for each other, to support each other, to help each other put on the armor of God. So I'm going to ask the communion ushers to come forward. I'm going to pray and then they're going to pass the elements out. When you get the elements, move into groups of three and four, and you can share prayer requests. The worship team will come up and uh, close our time of communion. Heavenly Father, we are reminded, Lord, that we are indeed in a spiritual battle, that there is an enemy that is out there waiting to devour. And we know it's not by our might, not by our strength, that overcomes Satan. But you do. And all you tell us to do is stand firm in your armor. Stand firm by praying and allowing you to do all the battle for us. Would you give us right now the opportunity to pray for us as a church, to pray for one another, to pray protection, to pray blessings, to pray encouragement, to pray exhortation for one another. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he